So we'll be continuing in our uh, studies in Hebrews. Uh, we are now in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're looking the sp- uh, specifically this morning at verses 13 to 20 of Hebrews 6. So if you could turn there in your Bibles or scroll there on your device, then we will look at God's Word together. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 20. Now, just before we start that reading, in the preceding section, the writer to the Hebrews has been warning the Hebrews and the listeners in the Roman church about falling away from the Lord by not taking heed to truth. And then he's also been encouraging them to carry on in their spiritual growth by by getting to grips with the deeper truths of God's Word, not just staying with the superficial truths, but to start eating solid food, get away from that milk. And now we come to this section, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I don't know about you, but um, have you ever had that sensation when you're sleeping of falling? I I actually love falling. I don't mind going through the air. I used to chuck things out of airplanes uh, with a seatbelt on, of course. Um, But you lean over the edge of the plane, so I've got no worries of that, but to fall. And that you have that dream where you're falling and you're trying to grab onto your stuff and you just can't get anything and then you wake up. And unfortunately, my wife bore the brunt of one of these and I went bang and she got it. You know, a lot of people have that same attitude in life when it comes to hope. They hope it will work out. But that hope is like a grabbing onto nothingness unless you've gone ahead and tested that your hope works. Unless someone has gone ahead and and looked into the future and gone there and made sure that what you're hoping on works. Otherwise, you're hoping in hope. And that's a nothing. Get what I'm saying? And there are millions of people who are grabbing onto nothing and hoping it'll work. 
But to believers, it's not like that. And that's what this book of Hebrews is written for. It's to give us assurance of faith and hope. You see, the Hebrew believers had started to doubt and to waver in their faith. They'd started to doubt in their faith in Christ. And they were starting to hope in a Levitical religious system of worship. They wanted to go back to a system. And they were in danger of starting to drift away and of listening to untruth, which is called apostasy. And so the, the book of Hebrews was written specifically for them and also to us living in 2021 because we're in the same danger. We're in the danger of drifting away if we start doubting our faith in Christ. But the good news for you and I this morning and from this text is that Christian hope is available now and for the future. And it's based not on a nothingness. It's based on a tested and an unchanging reality. And we're going to be looking at that reality. And the way he does this in this passage, verses 13 to 20, is he looks back and reminds these Hebrew believers of their great forefather, Abraham. Now, Abraham was a bigwig in their faith. He was one of the main guys in their faith. And they always look back to Moses, Abraham. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds them, look what happened to Abraham. Look at the... Promises made to Abraham, did God keep those promises? And the in, indisputable answer to that is, yes, he did. Based on that, he says, you have hope for today. There's an anchor for your soul in today's life. But it doesn't stop there. There's also hope for you in the future because Jesus has gone ahead and ensured that future. He has tested it and made sure that it works. That's a basic summary of that passage. So let's go and see how he does this. Verses 13 to 16, and I'd like you to follow in your text, please. Make sure what I'm saying, I'm not talking rubbish. Please. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you. And multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So what's this all about? We've got to go back to Genesis. So I hope you've got your Bibles ready. Genesis. Here we go. First book of the Bible. That's where it starts. Way before that though, but written down. Genesis. God made a promise to Abraham before his name was changed to Abraham. And it was found in Genesis 15, verse 1 to 6. I want to read it to you because the whole passage is based on this. Hebrews 15, verse 1 to 6. This is when Abraham was still a no one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, my servant. And Abraham said, Behold, 
You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him out, outside and said, Look towards heaven. Number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. Look at the next verse. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So there's the original promise made to Abraham. And then if you glance just a little bit ahead, so stay in Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7 to 11, and I'm not going to read all that now. God then swears an oath to Abraham. He makes a promise to Abraham, and he swears by himself. Now, usually in an oath, two parties were involved. The one swore, and then the other one swore, and that was an agreement. But here, God swears by himself. Why? Because man is weak and fallible. He knew Abraham would sin, and it wasn't too long, and then Abraham was going to sin. And so what did God do? He swore by himself that the promise he had made to Abraham would be fulfilled. And so we have that instance described there where these animals are slaughtered. They cut in half. Laid, the halves are laid opposite each other. And then God comes and he walks through the middle of the two separated offerings in the form of a smoking firepot and a flaming torch. It's a visible image of God walking through and God swears this oath by himself. Interesting. And then, I said the sin was going to start. Very shortly after that, if you glance ahead in your Bible there, you'll look at uh, chapter 16 of Genesis. And Sarah doesn't believe God because she's now 80-something. And she says, I can't have kids. How's that going to work? Abraham's an old man. And so she tries to make a shortcut. So she offers her young maidservant to Abraham to say, have some kids through my maidservant. Because at least we'll have an heir. And Abraham listens and he goes in. And a, a boy is conceived. And because of that shortcut, strife came. There's always consequences to taking shortcuts when it comes to God's promises. Always. Doesn't matter what it is. And today, the Israelites are still having strife because of that sin. Taking shortcuts with God's promises. And then if you look ahead to Genesis chapter 21, just flick there quickly, we see that Isaac is born. Now that was amazing. That was 25 years after God had made that promise. How long have you been waiting for promises to be delivered in your life? Abraham waited 25 years till he was an old man, physically incapable of having children, for that promise to be fulfilled. And it was. And then God did the unthinkable. And I'm, I'm going back here because we need to refresh our memories about what happened. And some people sitting here might not know what happened. And then the unthinkable happened. God gave him the son Isaac, and then on a day God said, I want you to go and offer a sacrifice to me. I want you to go to Mount Moriah and take Isaac with you, your son, your only son. 
And when he gets there, the Lord says to him, I want you to offer Isaac to me. What does Abraham do? He takes his only son, this promise he had waited for 25 years, and he goes and he lays him out on the stone sacrifice. And he's about to kill his son in obedience to what God says when God stops his hand by an angel and says, No, now I know that you are obedient to me. You've passed the test, Abraham. Here's a ram. Take your son off. Offer that ram to me. Amazing stuff, eh? We need to get back in the Old Testament read these amazing accounts. So, that's the basic outline of what Hebrews is about when we go back to chapter 6. You see, oaths between people were imperfect because they were based on changeable people. And so that's why when agreements were made between people, they always called on a higher person than them to see this agreement. So if you were in a modern day, you'd say, I call on the life of my mother. And you hope your mother knew about that. That this agreement would be kept. But changeable man was there, and so he had to swear by someone greater than himself. But God didn't, there is no one greater than God. So who would God call on? And in the human illustration, God then calls on himself. And he keeps that oath on man's behalf. And that's why his word and his promise is unchanging. Because of who he is. And so Abraham waited patiently. And he trusted God's unchanging promise. And here's the key. It was through the patient waiting and the trust in God that he obtained that promise. I'm going to repeat that. Because the same principle applies to you and I today. When God has made promises to us in his word... They will be fulfilled when through patient waiting and trust, you will see that promise fulfilled. Whatever it is, you've got to wait on God. Why can you wait on God? Because you know that His word to you will not change. God has sworn by Himself. It will not change. He will keep His promises. And even if you've face human impossibility like Abraham and Sarah did, God will keep his promises. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at the unchanging God who has made unchanging promises. They will be fulfilled. And that's not all. They will still be fulfilled to you and I because the story doesn't end there. You see, Abraham didn't see the complete fulfillment of God's promises. Why? Because he died. He's not alive in 2021. Those promises are still being fulfilled. How do I know that? Because I'm a good scholar of Scripture? No. Romans chapter 4 verse 18 says so. Let's go and look at it. Romans chapter 4 says this. This is how I know that God's promises still apply to you and I. The promise he made to Abraham way back in Genesis. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 25. Listen to what it says. In hope, he, that's Abraham. In hope, Abraham believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, because she was 80 plus. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now it continues. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the promise to Abraham that he will have the descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore still applies today. Every time a human soul comes to the Lord, that promise is being fulfilled one soul at a time. Fantastic, isn't it? So trust in God's unchanging Word, says this passage. There's our Christian conviction. I'll sum it in one sentence. Our assurance and our hope depend not on the stability or the strength of our own faith, but on the absolute and unchanging trustworthiness of God's Word. I want to repeat that. We need to hear this today because there are many things changing around us at a rapid pace. And people are getting worried, and they're falling by the wayside. We need to hear this. Our assurance as Christians and our hope depend not on the stability or the strength of our own faith, but on the absolute and unchanging trustworthiness of God's Word. You see, our hope rests outside of ourselves. They rest in God's unchanging Word. And that leads to the next point. God's unchanging word is based on something. There's a reason his word is unchanging, and that's because his nature is unchanging as well. Let's look at verse 17 to 19 of chapter 6. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So why is our hope there? Because of God's unchanging character. So what if his character doesn't change? I want you to look at uh, the end of verse 17. God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. And he guaranteed it with an oath. These are the two unchangeable things he's talking about. What is it? The unchangeable character of his purposes. Based on his unchangeable character. And then the other thing is his unchanging oath. They are the two things. God's unchanging character, his purposes, and his oath. That is what our hope rests on. So never say, I just trust in Jesus. I'm not sure why, but yeah, Jesus died. This is why you trust in him. We need to understand the meat of the word, not just the milk. This is the meat of the word. You see, God says his, changing, 
His nature is unchanging. In Malachi 3.6, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. And therefore, his oath, his word doesn't change. You see, God's not affected by outside circumstances. Add to that God isn't affected by outside circumstances and his oath that doesn't change. Add to that God is almighty. He's Yahweh, God of the host of the armies. Add those things together and then look what happens. God becomes not just the giver of a promise, but the guarantor of that promise. He doesn't just make a promise. He makes that promise come about. There's two things. His unchanging nature and his word. God can actually do something about his promises. They will be fulfilled. And the very fact that God has said something guarantees that it will be fulfilled. How do I know that? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says, The zeal of Almighty God which accomplishes his purposes. When God says something, he will do it. He's promised. This word zeal is an interesting one. It's the word jealousy. You think, weird. God's jealous. Yeah. He's jealous for his own glory. When he says something, he will do it. He's jealous for his own glory. His zeal, his jealous zeal will accomplish this. And then add to that his deep and unchangeable knowledge. He's the all-knowing one. And he is the only God. And add to that his deep and unchangeable love for us and his ability to act as the all-powerful and the all-knowing God. Can you see why he can keep his promises? And that, says the writer to the Hebrews, should be a great comfort to us, is it? You see, it's, it's not just built on feelings and nothingness. If you understand who God is and what He said and how He will keep His word, then that's a great comfort to us as believers. And that's why we flee to Him for refuge. The word flee means we're helpless. You wouldn't flee, you dawdle. You flee because your life depends on it. It goes right back to, guess where? The Old Testament. Numbers. Who can quote Numbers 35 verse 9? Anyone? No? I can't either. Um, but if you look in Numbers 35 verse 9 to 15, you'll see that there's, there's this passage which speaks about cities of refuge. And the cities of refuge were cities established so that when someone killed someone accidentally, the family of the person who had been killed didn't come and kill the person who had caused manslaughter. But that person who had caused manslaughter could run to the city of refuge and they weren't allowed to touch him there. City of refuge. It's a very deliberate use of that word because to a Jew hearing, we flee for refuge, immediately they would think cities of refuge. God established those. I was safe there. We flee there. So we flee to take refuge in what or who? What are we doing? We are fleeing to take refuge in what as believers? What is our city of refuge? God's unchanging nature and His promise. And when we get to that city of refuge, He says in the text, we hold fast to the hope set before us. 
Now, the word hold fast is there's a man drowning. Someone chucks a rope in, and it's the last hope. If he doesn't get this one, he's gone. He holds fast to that rope. He holds fast to the hope set before us. I love that. God has set his hope before us. The word there is he holds it out to us. He offers it us. The hope God offers, he gives to us. He says, take it, hold fast to it. It's your only hope. Otherwise, you've got nothing. We flee to him for refuge. We hold fast. We grab onto this hope set before us. And notice active tense. He holds it out. We grab. It's not once when I was 16 years old, I had a testimony and I believed in the Lord and I grabbed hold of him. No, it's a daily. He holds out. I grab. It's based on what he's done, yes. But he holds out daily, I grab. When I'm going through difficult circumstances in life, he holds out his hope. What do I do? I grab. I don't depend on a testimony 16 years ago. Daily, grab and hold. I flee for refuge to him daily. But that's not all. There's the last section here. And I want you to look at verses 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to Melchizedek today. That I'm leaving for Peter for next week. It's his birthday present. Peter Johnson, he loves Melchizedek. Happy birthday to you next week. And the sermon title is Mel not Gibson. All right, Peter? I know Peter will be here. So, what have we got here? We, we, have, a, we have a look into who God is and who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? He's God's unchanging son. You see, this hope which we have, this God-based, God-fulfilled hope, says our text, verse 19, is a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. That word sure is a strong, unbreakable, steadfast, trustworthy. It will never let go. It will never let you down. God's hope is a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. Man, we all need anchors of the soul, don't we? We are fickle. And the whole story of an anchor was in a ship they'd have an anchor. Why? Not because it was nice to have. They threw out the anchor and the idea was it would grab onto something solid on the bottom um, of the seabed and it would hold that ship in place. It wouldn't drift anymore. If you were going through a storm, they would chuck out the, the anchors too because as they were dragging in the sand, they would bring stability to that ship as these waves were crashing in on it. That's an anchor. The early Christians knew about this anchor. If you, if you go and look now, even today, if you go to Rome, to the catacombs, you'll go and see where the symbol of the anchor is there on the rocks, carved by the early Christians. Were they going through ups and downs in life? They were going through persecution and death. And so they made the secret symbol to remind them, Christ is our anchor. I love it. 
You see the fish grabbing onto that. They've got nothing. They haven't got arms. Come on. They've got to hold on with their mouths, right? And they loved that cross symbol that they, and they specifically used this design. And uh, if I was going to do a tat, my wife says no. If I was going to do a tat, I would put this on. This is the anchor of the soul. You see, hope is a stabilizing force for us Christians. And it's not stabilizing hope for the future. It is stabilizing hope for now. When I'm going through the ups and downs of cancer, sickness, accidents, family deaths, I need this anchor of the soul. Now, it's hope for now, based on what God has promised and what He's fulfilled. But that's not all. It doesn't end there, you see. We're going forward. This hope, says our text, enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He came from the Father to earth as a baby. He lived his life perfectly. He died. He was put to death by men. He was resurrected on the third day, and then he ascended to the Father. And remember that scene in the temple when Jesus rose again? The temple curtain was torn in two. The way was made open to the Father. Christ, when he ascended, went into the very presence of the Father. And guess what? Going with Jesus Christ is our hope. Our hope enters in behind the curtain into the very presence of the Father. What's that pointing to? It's pointing to the future. Past, present hope, future hope. I love this text. You see, Jesus has already gone there. The text says he is our forerunner, our prodromos. It's used a word um, to describe a, a, a military light scout. So a scouting party, the prodromos, would go ahead of the main army. They would scout out the land, find the dangers, report back. Christ has gone before us. And the army is coming. Many of that army have already arrived. But there are many coming. Christ has gone before us through the temple curtain in the very presence of our Father. And there is our hope with Him. What can come against us in this life? And he's gone there on our behalf. It's, he's shown the way, but he's also atoned for us. He's made it possible for us. Not only has he shown us where to go, he's made it possible for us to follow. And all we have to do is what? Follow the leader. He's gone there on our behalf. And therefore, he is our present high priest forever. The order of Melchizedek. We'll get to that next week. All right. So what do we do with this? Four quick points. And I want you to work with me here because you're going to be saying some stuff. I don't usually do this, so just bear with me. But I think it will help us to just cement this in us. Our faith may run hot and cold at times because what? We are changeable, right? Maybe just me. But God never changes. His word never changes. And therefore we can trust in Him. Now I want you to repeat after me please. Because it's solidifying this point. God never 
changes. His word has never changed. His word will never change. Therefore, I trust him completely. That's the first point. Second point of application. Hope is the anchor for your and my soul. It will keep your soul grounded and secure today. And we who are believers have fled to take hold of that hope offered up to us so that we would be greatly encouraged for our lives now. And therefore our hope is not centered on changeable circumstances of what may happen to us or what, which may come over us, but it's centered on Jesus Christ who is in the Holy of Holies, in God's presence. Our hope is now centered in God's very presence. So please repeat after me. My hope is in Christ. In God. I take hold of that hope daily. My prayer is that you do. Third point. I want to really plead with you, wait on God. Like Abraham, wait on God. You know, I know of some people who've been praying for their partners for their whole lives since they've been married, and now they're in old age. And the Lord hasn't answered that yet. Wait on God. Some of you might be praying for your children. Some of you might be praying for other family members or colleagues. Wait on God. God kept his promises to Abraham, but Abraham had to wait on God's timing, even facing the seemingly impossible. But Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So here's what we're going to say. Please repeat after me. God, I trust in your timing. God, I trust in your timing. I trust in your power to act, Lord. I will wait on you. And then lastly, I plead with you, just follow the leader. Jesus Christ has gone before you. But we need to state that. Because every day comes with things which distract us and pull us away from our walk. So let's state that. Repeat after me. Follow Christ into God's presence. Therefore, my future is secure. Amen. Let's pray. And I want to use the end of Hebrews as our prayer. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom we glory forever and ever. Amen.